Hi, and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and if you're looking for a used car that's fun to drive, but you want something that offers the best value, you really need to be looking at sedans. You know, cars with four doors and a trunk. Now, many people say, I don't want a sedan, they're boring. But, based on current used car prices, sedans offer buyers the greatest value because it seems like just about everyone wants an SUV or a crossover, not a sedan. So if you want to spend less and still have something fun to drive, I've got good news because today's better than new focus car, which is a sedan, a sports sedan actually, comes in multiple configurations to fit your lifestyle. You can get it in rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. You can get it with an automatic or a manual transmission. And on top of that, it handles great and comes with a six-cylinder engine that serves up a healthy amount of power and torque. Or in other words, it's a sedan that's fun to drive. And I'll tell you what it is and why you might want one in just a moment. So hop in, buckle up, and let's go for a drive. Now, before we dive into today's Focus vehicle, I want to welcome you to Better Than New, especially if you're listening for the very first time. Now, I created this podcast to provide inspiration to car shoppers on a budget by introducing them to a wide range of fun, interesting, and affordable used vehicles. With that in mind, I encourage you to check out past episodes of Better Than New. There's a lot of content you may have missed, including episodes on the first-generation Miata, the R56 Mini Cooper S, the Ford SVT Focus Hot Hatchback, the Suzu's short wheelbase Amigo and Rodeo Sport SUV Twins, BMW's Diesel 335D Sports Sedan, and a lot more. So please check out those other episodes. There's a lot of great content there. And if you like what you hear, remember that a Christmas elf gets promoted to management every time you click the subscribe or follow button. So if you won't do it for yourself or for me, Please, do it for the elves. Okay, just kidding. Anyway, let's jump into the overview of today's feature used car. So when I ask people to think of an early to mid-2000 six-cylinder sedan that's fun to drive, comes with a manual or automatic transmission, and it's available in rear-wheel drive or all-wheel drive, most people think of the BMW 3 Series. And, you know, they're not wrong. A used BMW 3 Series sedan does offer all that and more. However, the car we're going to talk about today, while similar in performance to a 3 Series, is actually the third-generation G-Series sports sedan from Infiniti. You may know it better as the G35, and it was available in the U.S. from model year 2003 through 2006. The first two generations of G-Series cars, known in Infiniti's really annoying alphanumeric naming system as G20 sedans, were both front-wheel drive and powered by a 2.0-liter, 4-cylinder engine that made 140 horsepower. They were decent little cars, but not that inspiring, and certainly they were not up to the task of taking on BMW's 3 Series. However, the G35, the third-generation G-Series sedan from Infiniti, was a completely different animal. First, it was based on Nissan's FM, or Front Midship, platform. This platform allowed for the engine to be pushed back further toward the center of the chassis for better weight distribution, better balance, and ultimately better handling. 
And like the 3 Series BMW, the G35 was designed from the beginning to be a rear-wheel drive car with the superior handling dynamics that rear-wheel drive offers. And even the all-wheel drive version, the G35X, has a rear-biased all-wheel drive system. And finally, instead of a four-cylinder, the G35 was fitted with Nissan's VQ Series six-cylinder engine for substantially better performance. Now, all those changes resulted in the G35 being a big hit with driving enthusiasts because it was a stylish car that offered excellent handling plus loads of power and torque for thousands of dollars less than its competitors, which included the BMW 330i sedan. And it turns out the G35 was so good that it was named Motor Trend's Car of the Year for 2003, and it was also named to Car and Driver's 10 Best List for 2003 and 2004. So it's a really great car. Now, if any of these accolades and awards have grabbed your attention, then let's go over the reasons why you might want an Infiniti G35 sports sedan. So you might want one if you love rear-drive handling dynamics. This rear-drive car handles great, and you're going to love it. Trust me. Now, you might want one if you want a fun-to-drive vehicle, but you need to save money. Like I said earlier, sedans right now are priced really low, and the G35 is a very affordable option on the used car market. Now, you might want one if you've been toying with the idea of getting a crossover, but the reality of actually owning and driving one leaves you feeling a little queasy. Hey, I'm like you. I'm not really a fan of crossovers. There's so many, and they're just, I think they're the boring conveyance, not a sports sedan. And you might want one if you want the all-weather capability of all-wheel drive in a vehicle that offers great handling and driving dynamics. Look, if you need an all-wheel drive vehicle, the G35X with its rear-biased all-wheel drive system just might be the perfect vehicle for you. At least, that's my opinion. Okay, now if any of those reasons why you might want a G35 sports sedan apply to you, then I think you need to dig deeper into the details, starting with the engine and transmission. So when the G35 was launched in 2002 as a 2003 model, the only transmission available was a 5-speed automatic. But later in the 2003 run, a 6-speed manual transmission became available. And in my opinion, this is really the transmission to get for this car. It sort of makes the car complete. Now, you may not like a manual, and the 5-speed is actually a great transmission as automatics go. But the 6-speed really makes a difference, so that's what I would recommend. Now, when it comes to the engine, the V6 in the 2003 and 2004 model year G35s produced 260 horsepower and 260 pound-feet of torque. That was whether you had the automatic or the manual, didn't matter. Now, starting in 2005 and 2006 model years, the engines in the G35 sedans with the automatic transmission produced 280 horsepower and 270 pound-feet of torque. So another 20 horsepower and another 10 pound-feet of torque, which is a nice increase for the motor. Interestingly, the 2005 and 2006 model year cars with the manual transmission produced 298 horsepower and 258 pound-feet of torque. So an additional 18 horsepower over that 280. Turns out the manual cars had engines fitted with variable valve timing on both the intake and exhaust camshafts, whereas the automatic cars only had variable valve timing on the intake side. Now these motors were known as the rev-up motor, so if you ever hear that, 
that's what that comes from. It's this 2005, 2006 manual transmission cars. Those are the ones with the rev-up motor or the rev-up engine. Now, when it comes to the drivetrain, these cars were designed to be rear-wheel drive. So that's what you're going to see in most of the G35 sedans. However, you could get all-wheel drive, as I've mentioned, and that's the G35X. And the all-wheel drive system was designed to provide all-wheel traction while trying to mimic the fun-to-drive nature of a rear-wheel drive car. So it uses an active torque distribution system with an electromagnetic center differential to distribute the power front to rear on the car. So, for example, from a standing start, 25% of the power goes to the front tires and 75% goes to the rear tires. But if the system senses any sort of wheel slip or tire slip, then 50% of the power goes to the front and 50% to the rear. And once you reach a steady speed, the system shifts to full-time rear-wheel drive to improve fuel economy. There's also a snow mode, which locks the system into a 50-50 split. And it reduces throttle sensitivity, so it makes driving on snow a little bit better. So it's kind of an interesting, intuitive system. Definitely a nice addition to the car if you need all-wheel drive. Now, in terms of the suspension, the G35 came with a four-wheel independent multi-link suspension. So independent, front and rear. And it came with VDC, or Vehicle Dynamic Control, which is their anti-skid or sort of traction control technology. And the good news is it can be turned off with a button on the lower dashboard. Just push the button and it goes off, which is great. Now, when it comes to brakes, the G35 came with four-wheel ventilated disc brakes with ABS, brake assist, and electronic brake force distribution. The brakes are really nice in the car, so no worries there. In terms of wheels, it came with 16-inch diameter wheels on the base model car and 17-inch wheels on the upgrade model with leather interior. And in terms of performance, the car performed really well. In a test by MotorWeek, a rear-wheel drive G35 sedan hit 0 to 60 in 6.2 seconds and covered the quarter mile in 14.8 seconds at 95 miles per hour. And you should expect the six-speed manual transmission cars to be about a half second quicker to 60 miles per hour and likely quicker by a similar margin in the quarter mile run as well. In terms of braking, MotorWeek's 60-0 braking distance was only 115 feet, which is nice and short. Uh, the brakes were quite strong, according to MotorWeek. However, they felt that the pedal, quote, offers less feedback than we'd like, unquote. So good brakes, but not a lot of feedback through the pedal. You can adjust that on a used car by maybe changing out brake pads or going with braided steel brake lines. There's ways to kind of bake that out of the system, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. But the good news is the brakes are nice and strong. Now, in terms of fuel economy, the original EPA fuel economy ratings were 19 city and 26 highway with 21 in mixed driving. Now, I've gone on fueleconomy.gov and seen some of the postings by actual users of these cars, and they were saying that their mileage was more like, on average, 21, 22 miles to gallon. So mm, I'd say that the original fuel economy ratings are probably pretty accurate. I'd say you're probably getting around 19 to 20 in town and about 26, 27 on the highway. Now, 91 octane is recommended, but the car will run on regular if you need to do that. But most of the time, you're going to want to run premium fuel. When it comes to features and option packages on these cars, starting in 2003, the G35 sedan was offered in two trim levels, cloth or leather. 
Now, the base G35 sedan with cloth upholstery included 16-inch wheels and a long list of standard features. Now, the upgrade leather model offered leather upholstery, of course, plus an 8-way power driver seat, 17-inch alloy wheels with 215 V-rated tires, steering wheel audio controls, and dual-illuminated visor vanity mirrors. Other notable option packages for 2003 included the Premium Package, which featured a Bose Premium Audio System, dual climate control with rear vents, driver's seat memory, a power passenger seat, reclining rear seats, automatic headlights, Homelink Universal Transceiver, and an auto-dimming rear-view mirror. Now, the Sport Tune Suspension Package was another option. It included, of course, an upgraded tune suspension, unique five-spoke 17-inch sport alloy wheels with high-performance tires, and a titanium-trimmed interior center console. And finally, there was the aero package, which included a rear spoiler and lower aerodynamic side fairings. There was also, I think you could get uh, HID headlights as an option, as a standalone option. So that's another thing that I would look for if I was buying one of these. I would definitely go for the sport package, and the premium package is nice to have. And get the thing in leather if you can, although the leather on these isn't great. And overall, the G35 sedan got a minor exterior facelift for 2005 and 2006. So the 2003 and 4 cars were similar looking, and the 2005 and 2006 cars were similar looking. The changes were minor, but you can tell a slight difference. So check both of those out. You may like one over the other. Now, assuming you're motivated to start a search for a 2003 through 2006 Infiniti G35, where do you start? Well, like any used car, you want to start with the basics, like how many owners, has it been in an accident, has it been maintained, etc. But those criteria are even more crucial on a G35, or really any rear-wheel drive performance-oriented used car, because people like to drive them aggressively. And while there are a lot of these cars available on the used market, which is good news, not all of them have been properly maintained and cared for, which is not good news. So initially, you want to focus on filtering out the cars that don't meet your standards. And you do this during three crucial phases. The first phase is when you look at the car ad. If there's something in the ad that just doesn't add up, skip it. Move on to the next one. There's plenty of these cars available. The second is when you call and ask for information about the car. Write down a list of questions. Pay close attention to the answers. You know, does the person sound competent and like they really cared for the car? If there's anything that doesn't sound right, you know, skip it. Move to the next one. And the third opportunity to filter out a car that isn't quite right is when you narrow down your choices and finally go see and test drive a car in person. You know, by this point, you'll have narrowed it down and, you know, it's probably a pretty decent car, but you still want to ask all the questions and really focus on the answers and really focus on what you see. Because if it's not right, again, it's an opportunity to walk away and find something better. Okay. So what are the typical used car things you should look for and talk about when you check out an ad, when you call, and when you see the car in person? Well, again, it's really important on this that you look for cars that are like one owner, two owner. You know, you start getting out to three owners and it can be an issue if you don't really know who those people are. Think of it this way. These cars were near luxury cars when they were new. They were between thirty and $35,000 off the showroom floor. 
And the people who bought them typically took good care of them. They had them serviced at the dealer, oil changes on a regular basis, all the kind of stuff that you need to do to make sure that these cars continue to run reliably for years. Now, if somebody kept a car since it was new and they're selling it to you as a one-owner car, they probably did all the maintenance necessary to keep that car in good running order. That's really important. But if that car was handed down to, let's say, they, they sold it to a neighbor, then the neighbor gave it to their kid, and then the kid sold it to his friend, and the friend gave it to somebody else. Next thing you know, it's with an owner who, A, maybe doesn't have the money to maintain it, B, doesn't care because they only paid you know a couple thousand dollars for it, and they just beat it up. They go sliding around the corner, they take it to the local drift races, they go autocross the car. You don't want that car. That's junk. You know, you need to stay away from those things. So again, minimal owner is really important. And next up is you want to look for a car that's had no accidents. And I'm really talking about major accidents. Rear wheel drive cars are notorious for people wrapping them around a telephone pole or crashing them into a wall or hitting a curb. Because drivers who aren't that competent can get in over their head really quickly. They step on the throttle, the rear tires start to spin going around a corner, and they get sideways and boom, they hit something. Just look at the accident rates for things like, you know, Ford Mustang, a Chevy Camaro, a rear-drive Nissan Z sports car, you know, 350Z. There's a lot of those cars that are wrecked, so you want to avoid that. Which brings me to my next point. Don't get a car with a salvage title or a rebuilt title. It's just a problem waiting to happen, and unless you know exactly what was done to repair that car, you don't need to take on that problem. Just move on. There's another car available. Now, it's important also to get maintenance and service records. Don't just take somebody's word that the car has been maintained. You want to make sure that the car's had regular oil changes, coolant flushes, transmission service, all of the things necessary to make the car run and to stay on the road over a long period of time. All right? And just because somebody says they did the work doesn't mean that they actually did. Now, some of this stuff might show up in a Carfax, and I do recommend that you get one. But having the paper records, having that actual service record from the shop really is important. And it's the real literal proof that the work was done. So get that if you can. You know, if you're calling, you want to make sure that there's no check engine lights. If you're there, you want to make sure there's no check engine lights up on the dash. You can also bring a scanner with you, an OBD2 scanner. Any car made after 1996 has the scanner port in the car, and you can just plug a scanner into it, and you can pull up any codes that might exist. It's a good way to check to see if there's any sort of problems with the engine or the engine control unit, all those sorts of you know electrical components in the car. You also want to check to make sure there's no deferred maintenance. You know, ask the person on the phone, does it need tires? Does it need brakes? Does it need anything at all? If they say no and you get there and you look at the tires and the tires are bald or they're worn out on the inside, you know that either A, they're not aware or B, they're not telling you the truth. Neither one of those things is good, so that might be a clue to walk away. You also want to call and ask if the electrical and mechanical systems work properly. You know, do the windows roll up and down? Do the mirrors turn if they're power mirrors? Do they work the way they should? Uh, all those kinds of things, air conditioning, heater, fan, all that stuff, heated seats. If something's not working when you get there and they told you it did on the phone, again, it's kind of a clue that you know maybe they're not being completely honest. Now, if it does work properly, that's great, but you want to ask those questions at every step in the process so you can filter out bad cars before you go look at them. Now, you also want to check to see if there's any paint or bodywork needs for the car. 
Now, the car should be straight. Now, hopefully the photos show a straight, clean car, no issues. But if you get there and you start to notice things like, you know, a bumper cover's got a crack in it or a hole, or maybe the panels look good in the picture, but when you get there, the paint color is completely different, you might start to wonder, is there something wrong with this car? So, you know, look really closely at the panel gaps and that sort of thing. And for a more expensive car, I will run a Carfax before I actually go look You can get the VIN number from the owner if they'll give it to you. If they won't, then that's kind of a clue that there's an issue. Um, But you get the VIN number and you run a Carfax. But I would only do it on the more expensive cars. Carfax, just a single Carfax, is like $40. So it's not cheap, but it is a good way to know if there's been an accident for the car. Now, it's possible that a car accident hasn't been reported to Carfax, but they typically do get those reports and... It should be on there if there's an issue. And again, I would buy a car that's been in an accident if it was something small, like, you know, in a parking lot, somebody backed up into the bumper and it needed to have the cover repainted and replaced. That's not a big deal. But if somebody, you know, wrapped it around a telephone pole at 30 miles an hour and the airbags went off and the car was a mess and then it was rebuilt, you don't want that. Stay away. Now, assuming everything checks out, one of the cars that I recommend in the G35 lineup is the 6MT for manual transmission. These cars really deserve to have the manual. It's fun to drive, especially with the sport package. They're just a great rear-wheel drive car. They have really great driving dynamics. And the six-speed manual really improves the experience, in my opinion. Now, if you don't want to drive a six-speed manual... If you can't drive a manual, the automatic is completely adequate. It's a good transmission, but I think it's worth getting the manual if you can. So think about that. Also, if you have to deal with any snow or slick conditions, the G35X with a set of dedicated winter tires, that car will be pretty much unstoppable for snow that's up to like, you know, four or five inches deep. You're going to get around just fine in that car. Nice and safe. Okay, now that we talked about what you generally need to look for on these cars, let's talk about some of the specific issues and problems you might encounter on the G35. Starting with the exterior, the OEM headlights on these cars tend to yellow and fade over time. And this is a common issue of a lot of cars from this era. They can be fixed. It's a relatively easy fix. You have to polish the surface and then put a sealer on there that's got some UV coating in it. And that'll last for a year, maybe two, and then you have to do it again. So Kind of a hassle, but, you know, look for that. On the interior, the perforated leather on the leather cars doesn't really wear well. It's kind of dubious quality, and if the car has been stored out in the sun, if it's not treated that well, it can tear and crack with use, so you want to look for that. you got a near-luxury car, and if the leather looks terrible, it's like, eh, move on, get another one. There's better cars out there. Also on the interior, these cars are known to have a few extra squeaks and rattles compared to some of their competition. This is stuff that develops over time. It's not a big deal, but take it for an extended test drive. Make sure it doesn't have a lot of rattles and squeaks that bother you. Other things that can go wrong on the interior, uh, apparently the door lock actuators can fail over time. And this is really kind of a time and use thing, so not every car is going to have that, but you want to check those. Also, check the motors on the windows, so roll the window down and roll it back up on both sides, every window, and make sure that they roll down quickly and then they go back up quickly. If they go back up slowly, it might indicate that you've got a window motor that's getting close to failure, or there might be some binding in that somehow, so check that closely. And also, check to make sure that the brake lights work, so I'm 
calling this an interior thing because there's a switch on the brake light pedal that can fail. And the fuse that works with that can also blow out too if that uh, switch has failed. So you want to make sure that the rear taillights and the brakes, the brake lights work. So double check that. Moving on to some bigger components, starting with the suspension. These are cars that can have bushing failure over time. Again, it's kind of a time and use thing, and it's not uncommon for cars to have rubber bushings in the suspension that fail. These are in the lower control arm bushings and in the stabilizer or sway bar link bushings. Those tend to wear out, and the front end feels a little bit more sloppy as you're turning. Now, if you haven't driven a lot of these, you might not know the difference, but you're going to want to check those either you know by yourself if you can, or if you have a pre-purchase inspection, which I do recommend on any used car. Um, also, back on the differential where it's connected to the subframe, there is a large liquid-filled bushing that also can fail over time. Now, it doesn't necessarily impact how the car drives dramatically. Some people just, you know, the bushing has failed and they just put up with it. If you have to replace that, though, it's pretty spendy. It's, uh, and if you do it yourself, it's actually kind of a complicated thing. You have to, I think you have to cut it out of there. It's really... Uh, it's not easy. So you want to check and make sure that's been changed as well. And it, again, if you can't check yourself, um, have a pre-purchase inspection done and just put that on the list and just say, hey, make sure this bushing is okay. Um, on the engine, the cam and crankshaft position sensors do fail on these cars. So you want to have that checked. And if you have to replace those, you definitely want to make sure that they've been replaced with the OEM, Nissan, or Infiniti official factory part. The original parts were plastic, and the factory upgraded those to metal. The aftermarket parts still tend to be plastic, so if you put in an aftermarket cam or crankshaft position sensor, you're not going to be happy in the long run because it's just going to fail again. So make sure you get the factory parts. Also, one thing you can check under the hood, get a flashlight and look down at the valve covers and see if there's any leaks, because the valve cover gaskets do leak over time. Again, this is a time and use thing, and it's relatively common on a lot of cars, but you want to make sure that they're not leaking. Another thing to check on the car is the coolant bleeder port is made of plastic, and over time that can crack and break. Now, cars that are 15 years old, 16, 17 years old, they've gone through multiple heat cycles, and the plastic just wears out. And This is, again, it's a common thing on a lot of cars where they use these plastic elbows and parts in the coolant system to, um, you know, route the coolant through the car, but plastic just doesn't like heat cycles over time. There are stronger aluminum replacements available, so if you have to replace that bleeder port, I would suggest getting an aluminum version. It's going to be much better for the long run. And these last two, so there are reports of some G35s having excessive oil consumption. You'll see this stuff on the internet, and it's hard to know what the source of that is and whether or not it has some issue to do with the owner of the car versus the car itself. Now, some people report excessive oil consumption, but they might be a person who never checks their oil. You know, they do an oil change and then 4,000 miles later, they, they do another oil change and they check the oil before they change it, but they haven't checked it in between and they find out, oh my God, it's down a quart and a half. Well, it's really not unusual for a car over four or 5,000 miles to burn through a quart of oil. 
it's not that unusual. But if you wait until it's down a quart, that's not a good thing. So you need to check the oil on these cars. That's important. So I would say make sure that the cars have had consistent oil changes and not really long change intervals. You know, um, there's a lot of debate on the Internet and around with mechanics and whatnot how often you should change your oil. But conventional wisdom is if you use a conventional oil, which there really aren't that many anymore, um, you know, 3,000, 4,000 miles for uh, synthetic oil, you know, people are going out to 10,000 miles. I tend to do 5,000 or 6,000 miles on my cars with synthetic. So that's just me. Your mileage may vary. And finally, some people report that there are timing chain issues with these cars. So instead of having a timing belt that requires a change every 60,000 or maybe 100,000 miles, along with a water pump, these cars have a timing chain. So in theory, they never need to be changed. However, the guides that kind of keep the chain in place and the tensioner that pushes against the guide to tighten the chain is run off of oil pressure. And over time, if you don't change the oil on a regular basis, the tensioner itself can fail and the chain guides can wear. So you could get a kind of a rattling sound on cold startup. You hear this kind of like clattering sound just for like a second or two. That's not a good sign. And it really means you need to change the timing chain. Again, not common, but it can happen. So if you can have the owner shoot a video at cold startup or ask them, don't start the car. I'm going to show up in the morning. I want to hear what the car sounds like starting cold. They might say, okay, great. If they're going to try and hide that, you know, the car will already be warm when you get there. <laughs> so make sure you check for that. Which brings me to the fourth filter moment, which is a pre-purchase inspection or PPI. And you want to do this to ensure that there are no typical used car issues that are about to cost you money. Again, things like brakes, tires, suspension, hidden things that you can't see, but also things on this list that I just talked about. You can have an infinity specialist check for these problems. They're going to know the car better than most people. So that's where I would take it if I'm going to have a PPI done on a G35. So I recommend you do that. Another thing you can do, too, to minimize any issues is to check for recalls. You can go to the NHTSA.gov website. This is the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration website. It's NHTSA. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, you just put in the VIN number or vehicle identification number for the car, and it will pull up any recalls that are specific to that particular car. Okay. If they've been fixed, I'm not sure if it indicates there if they've been fixed or not, but you can then contact the Infinity dealer and give them the VIN number of the car, and they should be able to tell you if the recall has been fixed. There was one in particular that I saw in a couple of cars, and it has to do with a gas tank filler neck, which is metal, I believe, and I think over time if it gets rust on it, so if you live in the rust belt or the car came from the rust belt, it might end up cracking and leaking, so that's not a good thing. So you definitely want to get that fixed, and really any recall that the dealer will fix for free, you want to get that done. Now, the list of potential issues may seem long, but keep in mind, I'm not trying to scare you off from buying a G35, or really any car that I recommend here on the podcast. But I am trying to make you a more informed consumer to save you both money and time. I mean, when you think about it, knowledge is power. And when you know what to look for, most of these issues can be filtered out when either looking at the initial online car ad or during a phone call with the owner. So you don't even have to go look at the car. But when you do finally go look at a car in person and take it for a test drive, 
you can feel confident that it's the right car for you. Okay, let's assume that you've found a car now and you're thinking, yeah, I want to buy it. What should you pay for it? Well, great question. And in my searching recently, I have seen prices kind of all over the place. There's prices that are down at like 2500 bucks or less. And the cars look pretty decent in the photos. And you think, really? That seems like not that much. Uh, and then there's cars that are in the sort of $5,000 range, $7,000 range, $8,000 to $10,000 range. They kind of go all over the place. So as a test, I went to Kelly Blue Book, kbb.com. And I put in some parameters. It was 2006 G35 sedan. I put in manual transmission. I put the mileage at 90,000 miles. And then I put down options that you would want, like the premium package, the sport suspension, a moonroof. And I marked the car as being in very good condition, which is just a step below excellent. And excellent is only like 3% of the cars. So this is like the top 25 or 30% of cars you would find out there. And the price range came back as somewhere between $5,547 to $7,880, with an average of $6,714. That's kind of weird that they go down to like single digits, but you know, it's about $5,500 to $7,900, we'll just call it $8,000, with an average right around $6,700, $6,800. And I would say that's probably pretty accurate. Although the manual transmission cars, people who own those tend to ask for a premium price. Oh, and I need to mention that that price range is for a private party. It's not for a dealership. They rank the dealer pricing as higher. Whether you want to pay more or not for a dealer is up to you. I typically do my shopping at for sale by owner type ads. I like to save money that way. If you do your due diligence and check out an owner and make sure that the car is okay, I found that I do really well with those cars, and I don't end up paying that two, three, four thousand dollar premium for the joy of going to the dealer and having them curate the car for you. I'd like to save that money, and hopefully you do too. But in terms of private party ads, I'll kind of break it down for you here. Five thousand to seven thousand dollars, you're going to find good, solid options in that range. There's a lot of choices, but be picky. Be really picky, and like I said, you know, filter out cars in the ad, on the phone. You know, maybe in person, but that's the last thing you do. Make sure you've filtered out all the junk cars. At $5,000 to $7,000, you're going to find a lot of decent G35 sedans in that price range. In the $8,000 to $10,000 range, you're going to find really nice, low-mile, one-owner cars. But you still want to be picky. You want to make sure that the car is all that it should be. You can probably find those cars at a lower price, but if you're not working that hard, you know, eight dollars to $10,000 is where you're going to find those. And then anything over that, you get up to $11,000, $12,000. Those are typically going to be dealer vehicles or people asking too much for their car. Sure, they're going to have low miles and maybe one or two owners, but that's a lot of money for one of these in the current market. So I would look for something in the seven, dollars $8,000 range, maybe a little bit higher, and you're going to find some really good cars. Now, what are some other options if you decide, you know what, I just don't want to do a sedan. I don't want a four-door. Well, they did make the G35 Coupe, and a lot of people kind of group that car together with the sedan. I kind of think of it as a different car. It's more like a sports car. It's an alternative to a 350Z. So if you want a 350Z, but you want to carry a couple of people in the back on occasion, that's what a G35 Coupe is. I really think of it as maybe even a better Z in some ways. So you could look for that. The other thing is you might want a car that's newer, 
Let's say you don't want to have a 2003 through 2006 car. Okay, I get it. Well, the G35 continued on in 2007. There was a new body style. And then it became the G37 when they upgraded the size of the motor from 3.5 liter to 3.7 liter. Those later cars were very good. So those are worth checking out. They're going to be more expensive, but they're a great car. And it's really just a continuation of the G lineup. It's going to be a rear-wheel drive, sporty car, and it's going to have a lot of the same sort of features. You know, they vary by year, but, you know, you're going to find cars with a sport package. You're going to find cars that have the manual transmission, if you look for that. There is an X version, so you can get the all-wheel drive. So if you're looking for something newer, that's a great way to go. All right, so there you have it. The 2003 through 2006 Infiniti G35 offers you attractive styling and punchy V6 power in an excellent handling and affordable rear drive sedan platform, or the optional rear drive biased all-wheel drive G35X version of the same sedan platform. The choice is up to you, but whichever four-door G35 you choose, you can rest assured that you have excellent taste in affordable used sport luxury sedans. And with that, thanks for listening to this episode. And if you like what you've heard, please click to subscribe and follow this podcast. And be sure to join me next time for another look at a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. Until then, I'm Gary Crenshaw. This is Better Than New, and I'm really glad you came along for the ride. <laughs>